this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 152. We're recording on Thursday, April 7th. I'm Jeff O'Neill and here with Amanda Nelson. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. Right before the show, Amanda's, Amanda had bad news to give me, which was we have to talk about another lost and found <laughs> thing this week. We have to. We ha- I mean, we have to. I mean, it's it's not as quite as good as Nazi witch books, to be honest. <laughs> Um, but it's still pretty noteworthy, I have to say. It's not so, as like prosaic or boring as like I don't know Arthur no. Conan Doyle's grocery list found in some yeah, guy's Yeah, Charlotte, Charlotte Bronte's uh, Juvenalia third version of a short story she wrote at thirteen or something <laughs> like that. Um, yeah. But we'll get to that in a second. I, we were Rebecca and I were were uh, uh, negligent last week. We we forgot to mention I think that Book Riot Live tickets are now on sale. BookRiotLive.com. Uh, that's our two day book person geek out con <laughs> thing in New York City. Um, it's uh, oh, November 12th and 13th, 11th and 12th. Yeah, 12th and 13th. You go to bookwritelive.com, you can get the details that are available. Um, and we've got an early bird special for you. If, if you if you buy tickets soon, you get uh, a free water bottle, you get a discount, uh, I think 40 bucks off, and you get first access to our Saturday night event at the Strand. Um, if you were there last year, you know it's kind of going to be a similar theater. We're not doing two nights this year; doing one night Saturday night. Drinks and uh, drinks and schmoozing and nerding out in the rare books room of the Strand. And you get first. There's only I think what 35 or 30 or 35 spots left for the Strand. So if you if you were interested in that, go to BookRiotLive.com right now or pretty soon. Um, and you should be able to snag one of those. But this early bird discount runs through the package, basically, where it's a discount and the water bottle um, run through May 31st. So we've got a little time to do it. But it, the, the, you know, these things are going pretty quick for the strand, at least. So if that's something you're interested in, uh, get on that right now. The programming hasn't been announced yet. We're, we're going to do another release here. I don't know. I think a couple weeks. Ready? We're going to announce the first wave of um, participants. I know this show will be recording live there again. That's that's the one thing I'm prepared to to be uh, held accountable for right now. <laughs> and only that. <laughs> and only that. So, you know, the early bird special is for, you know, for the biggest fans that people really want to come and are willing to sort of sign on board, sign on scene uh, with who is going to be there. But, you know, it's a book ride event, so you kind of know what's going to be like. You know, um, we've got panels and discussions. Um, I was uh, talking to Jen, our program director, our events director yesterday. And, you know, one of the things we're working on is going to be a lot of fun too. That's, a, that's what we call a tease in the business. We tease it like that. That gets people interested and then they'll buy the tickets. And they don't even know what's happening. Like, why am I buying this ticket? I, it's just happening. I just had to buy it. So um, I learned that from my business books, how to trick people into doing stuff. Um, Cause that's what business is as far as I can tell. Um, so that's bookwritelive.com. Go check it out. And uh, if you have any questions, you can email us podcast at bookriot.com. You can buy, oh, I should say you can buy tickets for either one or one, e- either of the days. You can buy one ticket pass or for the whole weekend. Um, so that's something we had introduced that later into the year last year because we just didn't know if that's something people wanted, didn't really think about it. But some people did, you know, they're traveling, they got work, can't devote their whole weekend, but they want to come for a solid slug of Book Riot goodness. Um, you can get a one day ticket there. Okay. Um, the big news of this – actually, before we, before we get to the big news, I want to talk about our first sponsor. It's Casper Mattresses. <clears throat> so if you've ever tried – this is one thing they don't tell you about being an adult is you got to do really annoying stuff. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's that annoying, right? Like when you're 14, you're like when you're an adult, like one of the things you have to do is buy mattresses. You're like, ah, that's no big deal. That's way easier than ninth grade. Um, but it actually kind of sucks, is it? Is, is the truth of buying, you know, buying mattresses. And so what Casper mattresses is, you know what, it does suck. So what can we do to make it better? So here's what they do. They, they, it's an, an obsessively engineered American-made mattress at a shockingly fair price, and you can get it online. It gets delivered to you, and you get a 100-day – I mean, they call it a 100-night trial because, you know, usually use your mattress at night. Um, and if you don't like it, anytime there's a 100-day, you can ship it back and get a full refund. So he, he, you spend a third of your life sleeping – 
let's 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 do a good job with that. You know, that seems like a, a very easy place to make a small but substantial improvement in your quality of life. Casper brings together two technologies. Latex foam and latex foam, <laughs> latex foam <laughs> and memory foam. And also, if you've done the annoying thing of going into like even a reasonably high-end mattress place, you're like, do you want latex? Do you want memory? Do you want this? Do you want that? And like, Casper says, like, you know, let's just pick the best one for most people, and that's this combination of latex foam and memory foam. Just the right sink, just the right amount of bounce. So it's it's got a little bit of what you want out of a mattress. Like it, it, it cushions you a little, but also provides a lot of support. A risk a risk free trial and return policy comes straight to your door. Try for hundred days, like I said, and if you don't love it, they'll pick it right back up for you. So at the store, you know, this is another thing. I think they do this on purpose. Like these mattress, the mattress stores, even like the mattress floor at Macy's, there's there's these huge floors, and you walk around. There's like ten thousand of them. It's like a casino of sleepwear. And <laughs> You're just you're just laying and you're tired by the time you even look at half of them. So all the mattresses feel good. They all they all like yeah. This is a mattress and I like it. I like laying down on stuff. So you don't really have a good sense in what are you gonna lay are you gonna lay down there for like a half hour even like in front of all these other people? No, you sit down on it. You do the thing where you put your butt on it and kind of pat it with your hands. Like I guess it sounds good. <laughs> That's no way to live. Uh, so with Casper, you get to you know actually use the mattress as you would use it. So. It's and here's the price point. These are premium mattresses at less than premium price. They're not dirt cheap because this is not a dirt cheap product. But here's the basic deal: five hundred dollars for a twin mattress and nine hundred and fifty dollars for a king size mattress. And if you've been out looking at memory foam or latex foam and all the sort of high end mattresses, you know that's a really great price. And you can get fifty bucks off those prices or anything else you find there at Casper.com if you go to Casper.com/riot and use the code riot. Uh, so go check it out if you need a mattress, which you do because you're a human. Um, oh, vampires. Well, I, vampires, I guess they don't use mattresses really. It's just sort of like, do they, do they need to sleep in coffins or is that just sort of like, I don't know, it became sort of vampire chic that you have to sleep in a coffin. I think it's just vampire chic. Yeah, and even nothing, if you do sleep in a coffin, it would probably be nice to have a little. Yeah, you could probably get, you know, get a Casper mattress and like cut it into that rhombus shape or whatever it is <laughs> for, for, for a coffin and, you know. Sure. <laughs> yeah, during the day. Uh, rhombus shape coffin mattress. Uh, that's a that's a billion dollar idea for all the vampires out there. Okay, let's get into the week's news. I, I, this is, I guess this is the big news of the week. I mean, it, well, there wasn't a huge story. This is the one that got passed around the most, if, that, if that's any gauge. Um, basically, the story is Lena Dunham. And her – is it her writing partner or business partner? Um, co-creator. I co- no yeah, co-writer. Um, uh, Jenny Connor, um, who's been with her on Girls and I, th- I think was on her with uh, Tiny Furniture. I'm not sure. Um, and they both work together on uh, Lenny Letter, which is Lena Dunham's uh, feminist email newsletter, which apparently has got quite a good a bit of traction. Anyway, <laughs> apparently. they're getting their own imprint at Random House. Um, and I, uh, so here, they're here, basically the, the, the press release that was given to Buzzfeed essentially is what it is. Um, working with, with Lena, Jenny and the editors of Lenny, we plan to publish a select number of titles each year to build a varied compelling and voice driven list drawing on their eye and talent and love of books. We see this as a perfect opportunity to broaden what we do at Random House. So that's what Random House says they're going to do. So, I mean, I don't know what this is going to look like. Like, is it going to have a big, like, Oprah-like stamp on the front or its own colophon? Or how are you going to know, you know, if you're in the bookstore, that's going to be a, a Dunham, Connor, a DK published? I, I have no idea. Lenny Books, probably, I guess it was going to be called. Um, I was trying to think of a celebrity imprint or any sort of imprint like that that I recognize. Because, you know, like, Bourdain had an imprint, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, where did that and- go? Who knows? And Johnny Depp, didn't he have something? Yeah, we heard I haven't heard I haven't heard word one about an actual title coming out of that. I don't that. know. But the only imprint, non like traditional publishing imprint that I can think of that I actually like recognized and followed would and was MTV Books in like oh, the yeah. late nineties. Do you remember that? They did Perks Being Wallflower, sure. right? And um uh-huh. Missarian's book The Fuck Up. Ooh, I don't know if I can say that. Uh the F up. Anyway, uh, that I really liked, and when I saw their their imprint in the bookstore, I would I would buy the book without mm-hmm. any knowing anything about it, and maybe that's what they're. I mean, obviously that's what they're going for here, but um, right. I have so many feelings about. Yeah, I, I mean, if I mean Dunham herself has quite a social media presence, like basically has a platform, mm-hmm. and then combine it with the email newsletter. 
you're, they're going to be able to get the word out to quite a fair number of people hmm. um, that are, care about Lena Dunham stuff, right? Uh, that's not to say that you and I necessarily do. I'm interested more than I'm anxious, uh, excited, if I, would, I should say, about this whole prospect. Um, but, you know, is the idea that it's, it's kind of like, I, I think people are still trying to recreate that Oprah thing, right? Of like, you've got someone that people trust and like and are interested in. And can they, if they put their, you know, stamp of approval on something, move some units? Uh, and we haven't seen it work to this point. Dunham's not the worst choice for this. I mean, she, she likes books. She's a writer. She's out there in the world. Um, she's certainly driven and hardworking and, and talented. Um, I, I don't know if this gonna, is this going to move that many, that many books, to be honest. I, I don't even know who would. Like, I think it'd be interesting. I can think you know, of so many people who would. Yeah, who I mean, just her. in the world of books alone, like you look at someone like, you know. Roxane Gay. Roxane Gay. Though people don't, we know her, right? But I, I think what they're trying to do is like people who don't already know books, right? They're like, I'm interested in books. Maybe if I knew about something, oh, Lena Dunham and Jenny Connors pointing with this thing. I, I think that's what's trying to happen. And then I just don't, I think Mindy Kaling would be a more interesting oh, choice yeah. in this. I don't um, know. I think the Venn diagram of bookish people who spend money on new hardcovers and people who are interested in Lenny du- or in Lena, Lena Dunham are, is a circle. Yeah, that's my sense of it. Yeah, that, I don't think they're going to get new non-Random people. House and I was trying to pick somebody, I, I don't think this is who I would go for myself. Well, uh, not the least of which because she's epically uninteresting. I just, uh. <laughs> you're not a fan. I, I, I'm interested, but I'm not necessarily a fan either. Um, I, I'm I don't not, know. not I, a fan. I'm just so bored. Like, yeah, right. I see what you're saying. It's been six seasons of Girls now, right? Um, we're. I think that's right. Or five. I know it's the last year. Michelle was just watching it uh, the other day and we were talking. It's been on for a while. It doesn't seem like it's been around that while, that long. Yeah. And the other part about these sorts of celebrity imprint deals is like, what are they actually doing? Because you know she's not like, she's not quitting her life to become a book editor and sit around like with, you know, Word documents and track changes, right? Like, what does this actually mean? Like, picking. Are, are, are Random House going to select them a bunch of titles and like here's our here's our list? What do you want to put your imprint on? Or they're going to have their own sort of slush pot? Like, what is the actual work being done? What, what is being produced here other than putting a stamp on something? Like, yeah, are they all going to be nonfiction also? Because like, I don't think it says anything about that. No, it, it just says like, well, hold on. Lenny Books will aspire to push the ball forward on the issues that matter to our audience with wit and style, which. Issues that matter to her, uh, the audience of her feminist newsletter, would I assume be nonfiction about feminism? Yeah, I would be surprised. Like, I I think it's going to be, my guess would be mostly fiction, but I I don't know the answer to that. I hadn't actually even thought about whether it'd be nonfiction or fiction, so that's telling, at least for me. Um, So, like, what is actually, are these books that wouldn't get published otherwise by Random House or somebody else? Or are these books that were sort of, they they signed or thinking about signing like hey Lena what do you think of this title and she's like great and that's it <laughs> a plus <laughs> I mean they, literally that could be it right yes um because frankly we've looked into doing like our own little imprint somehow and talked to some publishers about how it might work and there's a lot of there's a lot of tricky parts but the the thing that's hard to decide is how much of the work are you as sort of the we're not celebrities but as sort of the outside branding entity going to do. Like, are you going to read pitches from agents? Like, is or I just can't see them having that. Takes a lot of time to sit around and read manuscripts, pitches from agents, and like decide. And they're certainly not going to work with the. They're not going to be the editor. They're not going to be designing the covers. Like, what actual work goes into it? I, that's the part that's most interesting to me. Honestly, is like I like to know like how the the structure of the deal um, is is more interesting than like what Lena Dunham actually thinks about books to be that that's my, that's my own opinion about. My big Um, concern with this is that if she's, if they're doing this out of her feminist newsletter and Lena Dunham's feminism is so white, middle-class boring, um, that I'm afraid, well, not afraid, but I'm like, nah, you know, whatever. I suspect that books that come out of anything having to do with her newsletter are going to be that more of that mm, more white middle class right. feminism and you know i mean there was just recently that survey uh that was it publishers weekly did about why is publishing so yes, white and yes, it was yes. it was something like 80 percent of publishing employees are middle class white women and like right. so we have another imprint that's mostly 
about white hmm. middle class women. I don't it's just who even, who cares? Like, do we this is not an underserved audience. We don't need more. Yeah, of this. that's kind of what I was thinking, too, is like you can imagine, you know, Maggie Nelson's already published. You know, I mean, there's not to say there isn't a lot of work to be done there, but I, I kind of hear what you're saying and I agree with it. I feel like. I'm not like, oh, I'm so curious to see what books they're going to, even if they're just putting their stamp on something, what books are they going to put their stamp on? I guess I'm just not, whereas like someone like Kayling, I would be super interested to see what she's into. Yeah. Um, just because it's, you know, a different kind of uh, perspective that we don't get. You know, there's there's a lot of, you know, late 20 white women working in publishing. And here's another one that happens to be famous too. Um, that part of this, that part of the story I can certainly sympathize with. Um, but I, I have to admit, when I hear the first announcement of what the book is, I'm certainly going to look at the book. I may not read it, but I'm going to be super interested to see what they're doing. Um, I think a post is going up next week. We're doing like imprints or celebrities we'd actually like to see imprints from. Mm-hmm. Um, I want Jessica Williams. Man, she'd have a great Oh, that's interesting. Imprint. Janet Mock would be good. Uh, I do want so many yeah. more. So much better. Um, so anyway, <laughs> uh, coats would be good. Uh, anyway, we could do this all day. Yeah. But that's the... You know, that's that's a big deal. And it, it's also a part of a larger trend. I follow this a little bit for the, just for the business side stuff about what's going on in the world of marketing. And quote unquote influencer marketing is a big deal right now. Like you get Will Wheaton to tweet about your beer or something. Like I don't know if he does that or not. I'm just using that as an example. Like you sort of pay him to Instagram about something or, you know, make a video with get YouTube fashion bloggers or whatever to to talk about your Sephora, you know, runless mascara, whatever it is. Like the idea being you get in front of people that already have brands that people like and want to watch. You sort of embed the content in this. And this is basically an influencer marketing play for Random House. Like Random House is, this is not a political statement on Random House's part, I wouldn't think. This is they're trying to sell some books and um, trying to figure out a different way because no one really cares about imprints. That's another sort of truth of publishing is like outside of very specific and um, unusual circumstances, like some people care about FSG titles, um, some of the, the genre titles, you know, science fiction, fantasy, romance, people care. But in the mainstream sort of hardcovers that you pick up at the front of your independent bookstore, nobody cares what the imprint is. So it's very difficult to build any brand equity that you can use, right? Because like, no, like this is, this is the next pick in the Ballantine books, you know, Ballantine's next pick. Like no one cares about that. It's all author driven and which put publishers in a tricky spot because, you know, they, they have a big hit, like say, you know, even as much as we talk about HarperCollins' publishing Ghost of the Watchmen, I bet if you ask 95% of the people who, go, who bought Ghost of the Watchmen who published it, would be like, uh, right? Yeah. So they, they have no brand equity. And so that, that's just one of the things that they're trying to build up is like, can we build interest and attention on an ongoing basis around something that people recognize? That's just not an author who could die or leave us or write something else. Um, Do you watch it's a, it's Younger? A hard I'm, I no, I want to. I, I've been meaning to, but it's on some crazy channel that I don't think I get with my I think internet TV only. TV Land. I think it's on TV Land. TV Land, which is on, used to be on Nick at Night. It used to be called Nick at Night or something. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I watch what, it. What, is, there, is there a relevant plot line in There's a subplot, yes. Uh, there's a, an entire subplot from the last season about, um, oh gosh, what's her name? Hillary Duff's character, who is an editor at a small publishing house. Okay. Um, gets her own imprint and it's called millennial and it's like all about (laughs) it's all about her like getting these influencers to uh publish books with her stodgy literary fiction publishing (laughs) house and as soon as i read that lena donna was getting her own imprint i was like somebody watched younger last season (laughs) and it's like art imitating life imitating art yes Uh, what we have here if you are at all interested in the the vagaries of publishing younger is a hilarious tv show yeah i definitely want to watch it michelle i think watched an episode or two well they did the book riot shout out yeah we've been named i can't remember that. They talk about like uh, Galley Cat and all this random stuff that I'm like, wait, <laughs> real people know what that is? And I've heard, and you like it, right? Rebecca I love it, likes it's it. Shinsky likes it, yeah. So uh, that's, I guess, a recommendation from us. I do want to watch it. I have to figure out, maybe I'll buy a season pass for something or find it out the back of a truck. Um, we'll see what we do here. So that's that That was the big sort of industry news this week. Um, let's, let's move on from there. Um, this is a follow-up. Um, I think we well no I actually don't think we talked about this because it didn't have a really a bookish angles before but North Carolina just passed this really terrible LGBTQ law um and, and sort of the the vagaries of what it is and how it happened is beyond the pale of really what we talk about here but um 269 children's book authors and illustrators signed a letter opposing its house bill 2 
Um, headlining, headlining among them are Sarah Dessen, who's you know big time um, YA author or middle grade. I'm not and actually Veronica sure. Veronica Roth. Ooh, I'm like looking. And at Veronica, this. Veronica Roth too, the author of the uh, Divergent series. Dessen herself it lives in North Carolina, so particular. I mean, it, it's it's at home. Um, and it's an open letter to our North Carolina readers, and it basically, you know, it's saying. We, we're disappointed and angry about this law. Um, we want to tell you that you are wonderful just as you are. Now more than ever, we stand with you. So it's it's both political in that it's speaking to a specific piece of legislation, but it's also human in that it's sort of saying beyond opposing this law, like we're you know we're we care about you and we're proud of you, and a very a very heartfelt it seems to me and and uh, eminently decent move. John Green's on here. I'm just looking at some of the bigger names. All, is it all YA? Maureen Johnson. And they said children, YA and children's books. Oh, okay. So right. uh, I'm not sure. Let's yeah, see. Yeah, I don't recognize any um, adult yeah, fiction. I mean, I it don't. doesn't matter, but I, you know, whatever. Jackie, Jacqueline Woodson is on here. Cassandra Clare. Gail Foreman. A.S. King. Kelly Sue DeConnick. There we go. There it is. Kelly Sue DeConnick, which is comics. Yeah. Uh, she writes Bitch Planet uh, I'm trying and Captain to think Marvel and what whatever. else. Patrick Ness. I mean, uh, it's a it's a murderer's row and some. Um, yeah. Rainbow uh, Rowell, uh, Rick Reardon. Saba to here. She's awesome. Yeah, she's this awesome too. You know, this is really interesting about like, um, now I'm down this like mental rabbit hole of yes. how political YA can yes. be. And yes. especially compared to uh, – like like a stodgy, I don't know. I keep saying stodgy, but like stodgy adult fiction. Um, I don't know that I've seen something comparable from from adult authors. As we this. get this every once in a while, like through pen for like Chinese. Like I remember, there's a, I think it's a, a Chinese poet or author was detained, mm-hmm. and there was a huge sort of a, not not a similar letter because the the tenor and of course the the project was different, but with a big list of names of people we've heard about on it. Because the last um, one I remember is like a big one in the New York Times, but I think it was a bunch of authors signing a thing. Oh, it was Amazon and yeah, Amazon, um, Little right. Brown, right? Yes. The um, deal. Yes. And like, okay, so the thing that adult authors get behind is like their own yeah. financial gain, but this is, man, uh, I mean, you, YA authors will step out for their They audience. do. They will step out and they will, <laughs> they will uh, coalesce. Yeah. Uh, Around you know an issue like this, and this is probably, I, I guess the the most coherent and cohesive thing I've ever seen in in a situation like this. Um, I think just it is a genre, right? So it's it's smaller than sort of quote unquote fiction. Uh, so and but the community does seem to be a little more fellow feeling among YA. Now again, I think in romance you might you know in a similar situation you might see something from romance authors or sci fi and fantasy authors like. But YA is the most – it does seem to me, and you're right, that it's the most overtly political genre, um, at least on its author's behavior point of view, which is uh, super interesting. I don't know why that is necessarily, but it, it is a thing. So that's worth checking out the letter there. And uh, if you live in North Carolina, you might want to write somebody if you care about that. Yeah. Oh, I, this is – this is okay. This is the bill that like, like PayPal pulled out of opening yes. a branch. And, okay. Ugh, yeah. Bad job, North Carolina. Just a ter- – and uh, Georgia – it was trying to pass a similar law, but the governor vetoed it because the businesses were pulling out, like left yeah, and right. Uh, yeah, but, but the Georgia was like Disney and the NFL, right? We're yeah, like, and nah. Marvel. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting about North Carolina, I also, one of my side hobbies is following Apple news stuff and technology. And Apple has a huge new data center in North Carolina. And Apple themselves have been of the of the you know the biggest company that basically ever existed mm-hmm. and the CEO is gay um and it's something he cares about deeply he's spoken openly about it and i'm sure they're not happy um so that's another that that's a real uh, sword in the army against this sort of thing is that you know these businesses care about this for a variety of reasons um not all of them necessarily philanthropic but some of them are just very sort of pragmatically business like we can't be a part of this for yeah. a whole bunch of reasons um not not the least of them is just pr yeah and it your law violates so much of our human resources stuff yeah <laughs> right exactly yeah like we could get sued by our employees by doing business in your in your state um okay so there's that let's see let's, let's move on down the, you want to pick the next one there's a lot talk of about shakespeare Let's talk about Shakespeare. So this is what t- – tell me what happened here. All right. Well, there are two. But the first one, I'm going to talk yes. about the castle. So okay. the 400th anniversary of Shakespeare's death is April 23rd. And the castle in uh, Denmark that 
he based um, Elsinore from Hamlet in is an Airbnb is apparently like a private, <laughs> privately owned tourist destination where you can go and see plays. They perform Hamlet in the castle. Anyway, um, so for the anniversary of Shakespeare's death, you can you can spend the night in the Hamlet castle for ten dollars. And all you, I know and all you have to do is uh, write a message to the Airbnb host by April 13th explaining why you and your whatever significant other uh, want to spend the night in the castle. They say you get extra points if you write your submission in a big pentameter. And if you don't live anywhere near Denmark, they will pay to fly you in to the to the castle, Crazy. which is amazing. That's so great. And um, yeah, I, I was like racking my brain trying to come up with like a couplet to write so that I could, <laughs> I could go spend the night in the in yeah. Shakespeare's uh, Hamlet Castle, but a little mm. a little iambic pentameter to to mark the occasion. Uh, yeah, it's they you know it's interesting because like it's not clear that Shakespeare ever visited Denmark, but some studies have been done that like compares the stage direction of the play to the, this particular castle, and it seems like it could have been possible that he based sort of the locations and you know how things are put together in the play on the castle. I think if I remember right, and I I should check this, before, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I think some of Brana's Hamlet was shot in this castle. Um, I think I remember hearing that. The, the chapel has this very distinctive white checkerboard, black and white checkerboard floor. Yeah. Um, which I think is, is there's a big scene, um, or maybe they made sets based on this castle. It's, it's very much in this move. Um, it's, a, it's awesome. Like, it's in great shape, the castle. Like, yeah, it's not one of these crumbling. century. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's not one of these sort of crumbling ruins of a joint. Um, I don't know if they've been re- they've surely must have been restoring it over time. But the deal is, so you you send the Airbnb to a message. It's not first come first serve. It's you basically are going to get picked, right? Uh, you know, it says why you and your lucky friend, sweetheart, perhaps your estranged uncle, would like to spend the night at my castle. Extra points for submissions written in iambic pentameter. And if you don't live close by, we'll fly the winners in anywhere from. The- I don't know how many. Spots there are. I don't think it says. Oh, is it just two it people? I know. I don't know. I imagine it's. Well, how many rooms do they have? It's a castle. Like. <laughs> well, I, I know, but are they going to fill? They going to fill it with Shakespeare nerds? I mean, oh maybe. Oh my I gosh! No Can you imagine that party? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then someone gets murdered, and it's a mystery. Ah! Someone write this for us. <laughs> you just found the white hot center of my wheelhouse. Yeah, I know. I did think I just killed Amanda. <laughs> I'm just making sounds. Yeah. Right. Um. So anyway, that that sounds like boy, that's fun. That's really cool, and good on the the folks that run this castle. Isn't uh, there a memoir from someone who grew up in the? Oh no, it wasn't. That's Macbeth's castle. Never mind. There's a uh, memoir. Um, the Scottish, last child the who Scottish was play? born. Yes. I guess podcasts aren't a play, so you can say Macbeth. It's not bad luck to say. No, that. I don't. I don't okay. care. <laughs> um. So that's so another Shakespeare news. Yes. Sorry, <sighs> I'm sorry. <laughs> This is a big deal. Uh, a new Shakespeare first folio has been discovered at Mount Stewart on the Isle of Butte, which that sounds fake. I'm sorry. Mount Stewart <laughs> on the Isle of Butte. Um, Emma Smith, a professor of Shakespeare studies at Oxford. Okay, I guess I have to accept that credential. Has authenticated the first folio as genuine, bringing the total number of first folios known to survive to 234. Um, That's bonkers. Let's see. It was a working copy that formerly belonged to Isaac Reed, uh, a well-connected literary editor who worked in London in the 18th century. It was so <clears throat> only 233 known to survive and is the most valuable books in the world. So this is the 234th. Um, uh, so um, – it's unusual because it's bound in three volumes, has lots of spare blank pages, which would have been used for illustrations that I guess just didn't get filled in. Um, he, there's a letter from Reed himself, so he acquired the folio in 1786, and records show that it was sold shortly after Reed's death in 1807 to a J.W. for 38 bucks. Um, no further public records uh, since then. Since 1786, it was it wasn't included in I guess a big census that was taken by Sidney Lee in 1906. Um, yeah, it mentioned the catalog of the Butte Library in 1896, but I, I don't know the the mark the mark the Marquess of Butte bought it for the sum that was perhaps too dear, as she wrote in her mm. letters. So she she parted with a pretty penny for it. Uh, so that's what we know. Um, there's this and there's one more first folio out there in the world. Can you imagine, <laughs> like, being yeah. the person who stumbled upon it and was like, wait a minute, 
I, I, I don't. It, it, here's the other thing. It's the first of the first. I'm going to have to do more of these from the Butte collection because it hasn't been cataloged. The collection was put together over 600 years. <laughs> um, and Mount Stewart is working with academics from all over basically the British Isles to figure out what they've got there. Uh, so, you know, we're going to have to do more of these stories. We're going to we're gonna have to do more of these. Um, but they'll be interesting ones. Like someone who owned a first folio is, you know, like the rest of his libraries probably. Yeah. And of all the things you th- – I mean, this is one, too, you'd think that you would have found. I mean, this wasn't in some grandma's attic in Tennessee of right? Mark Twain's letter <laughs> like, to whoever. Like, how did you just miss? It's a Shakespeare first folio that the family has letters about them buying it, and they have a huge library. Like, no one's ever been in there. Like, get your stuff together. Like, I'm not asking you to get out, like, Tupperware bins and, like, label makers, but come <laughs> on. <laughs> I mean, just 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 to make sure this stuff doesn't. I mean, just from sort of a just sort of a preservationist point of view, you should know what's in there. Like, if you is it is it well protected? Was it just sitting in a pile of stuff? It was it in these plexiglass? Was it climate controlled? I'm like, gotta take care of your stuff, Mount Butte. Come on. <laughs> was it climate? You've had six. You've had six hundred years to get on this. This stuff doesn't sit around forever. Anyway, uh, I'm glad they found it before someone over there just like I guess we'll sell this stuff or. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, so there you go. 234. I mean, so now, so I guess the bar is a Shakespeare first folio or Nazi witch books. Let's see, <laughs> let's see what the internet's going to throw at me next week to get me to break uh, O'Neill's, O'Neill's moratorium here. So there you go. Okay. Um, I, you know, this story I liked. I don't hear this one very much. This is uh, Ian McKellen was contracted to write a memoir. A memoir, which I think I would be super interested in. He's a funny guy. He's got a long career um, in, uh, in, in theater and movies. He's also out and has been out for a long time. Um, so I, I, was, I had heard about this. I was like, you know, I don't read a lot, a lot of celebrity memoirs, but if I heard good things about this, I maybe would pick this one up on audio. But he's, he's not going to do it. He's returning his $1.4 million advanced. Um, he was at the Oxford Literary Festival, and this is what he said. And I, I'm going to read this the couple of sentences because I think it's interesting. It was a bit painful. I didn't want to go back into my life and imagine things that I hadn't understood so far. The privacy of my life, I don't quite understand myself. and has nothing to do with what I do for a living. So there you go. I'm sorry. Really interesting, right? Um, who knows? I mean, <clears throat> I guess just not willing or interested or able or comfortable with putting some of this stuff on the page. Also, I guess not interested with being with, I guess the most interesting to me is he's also not comfortable with withholding and getting and doing it and paying for it and calling it his memoir. Cause you know, people do that, right? They write memoirs. They don't, they don't give you the goods and they just write it. Or having it be ghostwritten, like also yeah, not a thing he was not willing to do, but there was something he wasn't comfortable with sharing or even really maybe not sharing. He says, I didn't want to go back into like, Stuff that happened that he didn't really want to spend the time and attention and sort of psychological currency on to try to go back and think about whatever happened to him when he's 13 or 40 or 60 or whatever it is he's referring to. Um, but I, I thought that was it. I'd never heard of a story like this before. I'm sure other things like this have happened before, but not not that's come across my desk in such a whole uh, high, profile, high profile way. And I said, I wrote in Critical English, like, darn it, this makes me want to read the book even more. Yeah. <laughs> I kind you know, of love like it, though. Of, like I'm sure there, you know, I'm sure there are dozens of celebrities who are interesting who get approached for memoirs who feel the same way and don't feel like looking back into their lives and just say no. But I've never heard of somebody being like, "Sure, actually, yeah. J.K." <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to write you a seven-figure check. Yeah, uh, to get out of it. So that's interesting news, um, and uh, I, I applaud the the move. If you're not comfortable, don't do it. Don't do it. Okay, let's see. Where else you want to go here? Hmm. I guess we should do our second sponsor. This is, you know, it's going to take just a second to get into this one um, a little bit. So Open Road is, is sponsoring today's episode. And he, here's what's going on. There's, a, the, there's an English writer. Her name is Marjorie Sharp. Maybe some of you have heard of them. You guys are book, book, big nerds out there. She's best known as the author of the, the Rescuers that got made into the Disney movies about the mice that go save people, which I loved as a kid. Both the Rescuers and it's... Better sequel, Rescuers Down Under, but let's not get into a fight about that. Um, but it's her novels for adults that people don't know about and Open Road wants to tell you about. Um, they're, they're, they're comedies of manners and they're set primarily in Britain right after uh, World War I. So kind of where Downtown Abbey 
Lead, Downton. Downton Abbey. <laughs> down, I'm, thinking, down, I'm, I'm looking at it in my uh, my brain cannot not say that. Downton Abbey leaves off is kind of where these pick up in terms of British history. And there's a huge sort of underground fan base of Marjorie Sharp's books. They haven't been available for a while. And Open Road is going to make, let's see, 12 of them available um, starting April 12th. 10, excuse me, 10. Open Road is releasing 10 of her novels on April 12th, first time in ebook, <clears throat> in ebook form. And here's what you can do to sort of kick it off. They're giving away a free ebook download of The Nutmeg Tree, one of her books, which is a charming comic novel that follows Julia, an eccentric and flighty actress who reunites with her very proper daughter after leaving her in the care of her in-laws 16 years ago. Nice setup, right? Actress mom comes back. You know, there's going to be a lot of uh, old pizza for them to deal with. When, the re- when readers first meet Julia, she's singing loudly in her bathtub while holding off the men outside her door who are visiting her to collect a debt. From there, readers will fall in love with Julia and her hilarious antics as she tries to be a proper mother once and for all. So you can get that for free. There's a link um, both in the show notes that will appear on the site but also in the episode notes in your podcatcher. I'll do a direct link, um, The Nutmeg Tree by Marjorie Sharp, April 12th. So you, you know, you can, if you like that, you can go check out the other – the other uh, Marjorie Sharp books um, brought out by Open Road. And this is interesting. Open Road's business model is backlist ebooks. You know, older books, things have been out for a while that aren't yet available digitally, or, you know, a publisher doesn't have, you know, there weren't really ebook rights written into the original contracts. Open Road going back sort of makes deals with either the authors, the publishers, or estates, or whatever. I, I, who knows who the deals with here, I have to say. Um, they're going to bring out the whole line of Marjorie Sharp, one of these. Um, unjustly forgotten authors, maybe, uh, for those of us that like this. I'm, I have to say I'm interested. I've heard of Marjorie Sharp before in my grad school days, but I've never read one, and I think I'm going to pick one of these up. So thanks so much to Open Road for sponsoring. The Nutmeg Tree, free ebook download. Um, link in the show notes. All right. Let's see. Hmm. Yeah, tell me about Tennessee. So Tennessee. <laughs> oh, Tennessee. So, oh, Tennessee. <laughs> uh, is about to make... Uh, is about to become the first state to make the Bible its official state book because of reasons. This is an insane story to me. It's so bad. And it's not just the fact, like, not just the fact of it. The fact of it that a state with yeah. that exists in a country with the First Amendment that we have is about to make the Bible a state book. That is, like, bizarre enough. But the story, like, the saga of how this bill has yeah. survived. Give, 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 the, give the people an overview of the saga. Like, we don't have to go into the blow-by-blow, <laughs> blow, but what, what, what's, the, what's the deal here? So it was. it's obviously a contentious and hotly debated, on both sides of the aisle, yes. bill. There are Republicans who openly oppose it. There are Democrats who support it. Um, so lots of debate and contention. And it was sent to committee last year, which was what lawmakers thought a way of killing it. Because, you know, when something right. is sent to committee, it's never, ever gets out of committee. Yeah, legislative purgatory, yeah. basically. So yeah. it was sent to committee and then somehow got out of committee and passed the House. And it was assumed that once it passed the House, it would never pass the Senate. But it just passed the Senate, like, two days ago. Um, mm. And is now on its way to, to the, the governor. governor's desk. And I have not found any indication that he will not sign it. Uh, so... <sighs> So along with like, whatever, or there was a list of a, the Eastern box turtle is the state's reptile. Square dancing is the state's folk dance and milk is the official state beverage of Tennessee. And now the Bible will be the official state book. I mean, it's a little, the the state is so square that the box turtle Mm -hmm. is their state reptile and square, literally square Square dancing dancing is their dance. I'm surprised under state drink, it just doesn't say None. <laughs> we don't do that. Yeah, we don't admit to actually taking. Um, even the state's attorney general has raised questions about the constitutionality of the legislation, which the seems to governor. me, yep. the, uh, it seems to me, a very. Di- <sighs> I mean, so what's the, the only point, comparable. What's the point of doing it? Well, obviously, I mean, because of God. Yes. <laughs> Because of, I feel like this is just a response to the like the culture Modernity. wars. Yeah, yes, yes. It's a response to all the backlash against like Georgia and North Carolina's horrible anti-LGBTQ bills. It's a response to all the progress that women have made and the right to choose. It's a you know it's a response to progress. 
Oh, I have a lot of feelings about it. Uh, the only thing that's comparable is that is that Alabama, in Alabama, they have an official Bible. So the state has an official Bible, and it's I the one that Jefferson— I remember hearing about that story, yeah. Oh, right. it's amazing. The official state Bible of Alabama is the one that Jefferson Davis was sworn in on as president <laughs> of the Confederacy. So that is the official state Bible of oh, Alabama. Great. In other stories of people who don't understand the Bible and maybe haven't actually read it. Um, so, yeah, Tennessee, I don't—what are you doing? Like, I can't imagine— um, I can't conceive of, unless we did like an England style Anglican church and pre- Obama was made head of it. I right. can't imagine a thing that would be more in violation of the First Amendment and the state not establishing an official religion than a state literally establishing yeah, I mean, it's an official book. saying that, right? Like, uh, you're doing it literally. How is this ever going to pass? Like, it's. I feel like the ACLU is just going to immediately bring up a lawsuit and it's not good and it's going to be. Yeah, like, I guess I, I don't know enough about constitutional law exactly, which I can't remember which part of it. I guess Congress shall make no law establishing an official religion. Yeah, right? that's, that's in the First Amendment. And the question would be, does this implicitly or explicitly suggest that Christianity is the official religion of the state, which seems hard to argue that that's not what you're trying to do. How would you argue against it? I don't. I don't get it. I guess it's just saying the official book. Like uh, I'm trying to think of some counter argument that I can wrap my mind around. Like let's say you made let's say Missouri made Huck Finn the official book. I guess you would argue that that doesn't necessarily imply that Twainism is the official religion of Missouri, right? <laughs> I guess. But that's but not. I, but uh, yeah, no. I'm. I guess. I know. I'm just trying to think of like. Do other states have official books? Is this a thing? I don't know. We should know. look at this. Gonna... We should look this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a book riot post waiting to happen. Um, I've never heard of something like this. Uh, using this, I guess the other thing that's sort of rotten to me about this is these official reptiles and songs and drinks, like they're just, they're just, I don't even know what the point of that is, to be honest. And they're very, they have no political, they have no sort of legislative weight or enforceability. So no one will, cares about them. So this is using sort of an established, basically void position to do something politically and culturally that has no enforceable weight. It doesn't actually do anything. It makes non-Christian people feel like crap. And that's really it. That's really it. it. I mean, to me, it just seems like a way for the senator who proposed it or whoever it was who proposed the bill to make a statement about how he doesn't like liberals. Like, like that's, Eh. that's all this is. Really, and so. I'm sure he and his conservative district and wherever he can run on it, whether it passes or not, whether the governor vetoes it or not, he can say, you know what, I tried to make the Bible our, our state book because we're God-fearing people and God and God and God. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a bummer, super big bummer. Uh, I hope the governor passes it, and I fully expect if it, uh, I hope the governor vetoes it, and I fully expect if if he does that, um, some court somewhere with their head screwed on right is going to say, you know, I'm not sure. This is super what we intended. The, the Constitution <laughs> intends when they said make no law establishing an official religion because you are making a religious text the official book of your state um, beyond compelling people to attend Christian services. I don't know what one would do to, to establish an official religion beyond this. So um, I looked at So in 2003, Massachusetts made Make Way for Ducklings their official children's book. And in 19, (laughs) I know it's amazing. And in 1990, I don't, I can't see if it's passed or not, but in 1990, Minnesota proposed Little House on the Prairie as the state book. Make way for ducklings in in the Boston, is it, I can't remember what this, the big park in Boston is. Is this called Boston Common? They have statues of the ducklings from like through the park of the make way for ducklings. So it's the Bible, uh, Little House on the Prairie and make way for ducklings. Uh, that makes that makes a lot of sense. That's a that's a trio. I, I you definitely want to pick out of a hat. Um, all right. So enough of that foolishness. Um, <laughs> the now, legislation actually, does not say which version of the Bible would be used. I'm sorry. I had to throw I, that I, yeah. Right. That's I, I, I hope it's the message. It's just the Bible. It's actually a Greek Bible, uh, and you know, no one understands it. So wait, is it, is. is it the Catholic Bible? Because they've got different books. Saint James. Yeah, Saint James. Than, than we do. I don't, yeah. man, I don't know. And before somebody comes on Twitter and yells at me for hating God, I am a Christian. Okay, this is still ridiculous. Let's just. Yeah, well, you know, you can you can be a Christian without being a fool. Um, <laughs> One would hope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I guess I didn't, 
I'm saving this for last, but I think this is, to me, the most interesting story of the week. It actually came out end of the week last week, and we didn't, I didn't get it in time to wrap into the sh- last week's show. But Harlequin um, signed a creative partnership, and I, again, that's as vague as you can be <laughs> without being nothing, um, with A&E to produce a series of original scripted movies, web series, books, and digital content. Together, the media companies will franchise scripted dramatic movies based on best-selling novels. The content will be screened on any networks, channels, and through content partners. I have to say, I'm shocked this didn't exist already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. This doesn't make all the sense in the world. And is it going to be Harlequin books? Like they're going? Is it romance novels? Is that the thing that A and E is yeah. going to make? That's awesome. They're going to make. I, 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 pres- I mean, Harlequin does have a YA imprint, yes. and they do some. They're, they're dipping their toes into some other genres, but the you know ninety percent, I'd guess, of their revenue is is uh, is based on. This makes all the sense in the world. They're, it's it it looks like they're going to start with books and maybe pull from maybe the more popular Harlequin titles or stuff they just think would make good movies and TV shows and series, and use that as a you know as the 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 content to build other you know basically filmed stuff on. Which it makes all the sense in the world to me. Like A and E gets a direct pipeline. They basically get beta testers for what's popular and mm-hmm. stories, and you know, it and surprises me that it's A and E a little bit though. Like well, that seems who would like you kind think of a, otherwise? I, Lifetime? No. Well, well, I guess. But like, like A and E is is Mad Men, right? No, that's uh, AMC. Oh, okay. Well, then never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A and E is. Well, Annie is just, you know what, it has the brand equity that we, our brains are doing right now. It's like, oh, it's one of those cable shows that shows stuff. Right. Like, well, yeah. Um, I was thinking maybe like Lifetime or Hallmark. Hallmark, you know, they, they're best known for those terrible Christmas time romances. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, that I may or may not have seen several of. Um, I, you know, but Annie, I, right, I wouldn't have thought Duck of them. Duck Dynasty. And, um, yes, Duck Dynasty. Yes, right. Hoarders. Exactly. Oh. Um, oh dear! So, <laughs> the Wahlburgers reality TV show. <laughs> but there is a market on on cable, especially for you know direct to cable love stories. Uh, and you know who does love stories? Harlequin. Mm-hmm. It, it just I, I'm just frankly shocked that a deal like this didn't apply already. And I guess what it does, rather than having to sort of strike a deal for each individual book that A and E might want to adapt, they sort of they develop a pipeline and a process, right? Yeah. Where they maybe get rights of first refusal or exclusive rights to any of the Harlequin titles, but boy, it makes a lot of sense. And presumably Harlequin will get some finder's fee or you know, what Harlequin gets out of the deal, I guess would be some percentage of the the gross. I don't know what the the money situation would be. But in terms of con- mixing, you know, shunt funneling book content that can be filmed for the right market and the right situation seems like a home run to me. I'm surprised um, that this doesn't exist like sci-fi for with porn. Yeah, or... that's what I was going to ask you. Like, do you think this could work in other genres, sure. right? Like you could see A&E doing one for, uh, let's see, Minotaur, which is a crime imprint, mm-hmm. you know, they, and do mysteries and crime novel, crime movie, direct-to-cable crime movies or sci-fi, yeah, Tor, someone mm-hmm. like that. Uh, or uh, gallery books and SNS. I'm trying to or saga SNS. Saga, I think yeah. those those are uh, mist or sci-fi fantasy titles. Yeah, that makes a or lot of sense. Or even MTV to me. with like a YA imprint. That yeah, would be, that'd yeah, be that's really yeah. That would be very interesting. Um, so anyway, that that's something to keep an eye on. And I know a lot of you out there like romance and TV. So <laughs> you you probably will be find this very interesting. As I do think. I. <laughs> yeah, romance and TV. Would you will you watch one of do you watch cable movies like this? Would you um, watch something like this? Not really. I don't yeah. in general, but if I you know, I do read a lot of romance and if I heard that some channel was making one of my favorites into a movie yeah. or series, I'd certainly watch it. I mean the other benefit too is that romance readers are so avid and loyal mm-hmm. that A&E might be able to pick up. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how many viewers you need to get on basic cable for a TV movie on Saturday night to like make it a hit. But I would think that enough Harlequin readers out there, if they did a good job messaging it, like will it be branded Harlequin presents on A&E or something like that. I don't know. Um, but they would also be smart to do outreach. They can to romance readers to let them know this is happening, mm-hmm. um, which you would think would be obvious, but you I've know. seen people <laughs> mess stuff up like this before, uh, so I'm I'm not gonna I'm not going to hold my breath. Uh, do we catch everything? Uh, we sort of jumped around there at the end. I'm sorry about that, Amanda. I, I, I led you on a wild goose chase. I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's our show. That's a good show. Interest. You know, in a way, it's sort of like 
a archetype for a, a book riot podcast because we got to we get to talk about crazy stuff people are doing in politics and state government. We got some weird publishing news. We got to find a couple of things. We got to do like a weird AB, Airbnb uh, Shakespeare story. <laughs> the only thing that's really missing is we uh, – oh, I mentioned Harper Lee even. You did. Uh, we didn't mention Dan Brown, but I just did, so there we go. How You're did we not mention co- Dan Brown in the discovery of the new first folio? We were just telling him to write Nazi witch book. That's thing. true. I mean, what he's a busy guy. He can't he's can't write all of our books. <laughs> the list for of us. our Dan Brown like desired plots is yeah, long yeah, yeah. and varied. I like it. I like it. Uh, you know, I would also I like the murder mystery set on the four hundredth verse four hundred anniversary night in the Elsinore Castle. Or if someone wanted to write a romance, you know, people fall in love at the four hundredth anniversary of Shakespeare's death, Hamlet party in the castle. Also would be interested. Also would be interested in that. I have to say, if Shakespeare and Agatha Christie had a love child, it would be a murder mystery in this castle. Uh, that's park. right. <laughs> I, I'm in. I'm in right now. My head cannon. I'm gonna fire up a Wattpad account and get that. <laughs> Please do it. Uh, yeah. Did you see this week? Four hundred thousand. Four hundred thousand books on Smashwords. They just there's a press release. Can no. you believe that? Yes. That's insane. That's insane. Also, 500 Goodreads, million reviews. Yeah, on Goodreads. 50 million 50 reviews. Million, yeah. This the, They crossed that milestone. Unbelievable stuff. Uh, anyway, okay, that's our show. Thank you much, so you guys, for listening to the show. Thanks for Amanda to be on the show this week. Uh, you can find show notes to this episode and all back episodes of Book Riot Podcast at bookriot.com slash listen. You can navigate to this show, episode 152. It'll probably have some weird title. Right now, I think coffin-shaped mattresses might be um, <laughs> leading the pack. Uh, you can also email us at podcast at bookriot.com. You've got comments or questions or something else you want to know about. Thanks so much. Much to our sponsor, Casper Mattresses. Go to casper.com slash riot and use offer code riot to get 50 bucks off a mattress of your choosing. And the Nutmeg Tree by Marjorie Sharp from Open Road. Get it for free. Find the link in the show notes. That's an ebook. Um, and that's, they're, they're celebrating the release of uh, their Marjorie Sharp catalog, 10 books starting on April 12th. Check those out as well. Bookriotlive.com. Get your early bird pricing and package and access to the strand. Make sure you get one of those tickets if you want it. November 12th and 13th. Hope to see you there. Until next time, take it easy. Bye.